Thanks for taking the time to listen. Uh, today we're going to be talking about um, privilege um, and just understanding it and um, kind of just breaking it down. What does it mean? What does it look like? Um, I'm actually going to be sharing a bit about what um, privilege in my life has looked like and a little bit more about that. Um, but before I get any further and just talk about more why we're talking about this. Um, if you're new to Tout Ensemble, if you're trying to figure out what, what this is about, um, Tout Ensemble is a platform created to encourage conversation through the stories and experiences of people. And through podcasts, the hope is to uh, spark learning and a better understanding of the world and people around us. So if you want more info, more like content, uh, check out toutensemblepodcast.com. That would be cool. Um, so today I really wanted to just sit down and talk about privilege, um, partly because of some of the suggestions and comments and conversations that came from episode two, which had, which if you haven't listened to yet, um, go ahead. Um, I would love it if you gave it a listen. It was on feminism, but I feel like I introduced, uh, privilege in a sense that might be a little more understandable if you're not really familiar with privilege, what it is, um, what it looks like in kind of um, a social society culture setting. Uh, so yeah, go ahead, give it a listen. Um, but after kind of posting that or like publishing it, um, I had some really cool conversations with individuals. Um, one person was like, Hey, I'm kind of starting to get this gender privilege thing. What can I do as a man or as a dude to like use it for good? What can I do? And then I had someone else suggest, um, or ask if I could, uh, share some examples of privilege in my life to maybe help other people who may not see privilege in their life, uh, get a better picture for it. And so I thought, you know, that's really cool. I should probably do that. Um, and to be quite honest, I have been working on this for a while, and this isn't the first time I've recorded it, probably the third or fourth, um, but I feel like it's it's kind of a tricky topic, and just the way and the tone of um, whatever I say and whatever the content is, um, I believe should be a place um, that is from patience and not like frustration and that it's just said in a way that's really understandable to people and it's not just me ranting for x amount of minutes so I'm really going to try my best to keep it concise keep it clear uh, and leave room for conversation and suggestions uh, that being said I do always appreciate your suggestions comments um, or just feedback uh, it's been really cool to hear what um, people think and what um kind of their reflections are on whatever topic. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And also just thank you. Uh, it's kind of a huge honor that I can just talk and that people will actually listen um, and share their thoughts with me. That's really cool. And um, that's what this platform is for. So um, thank you. It's It's been really cool. 
Uh, definitely really cool. Uh, so I'll just get into it. I'm not really sure how to segue it. Um, so I'll just start off with a definition of privilege, which, um, as similar to last episode, I will be kind of using Peggy McIntosh as like a laying ground. Peggy McIntosh defines uh, privilege as an invisible backpack of unearned social provisions that benefit a certain group in society. And so as I was reflecting on this, I kind of kind of broke privilege down into kind of five or six main areas that every time everyone will guarantee to have. Um, and that is gender, class, ability, sexuality, and race. And today, um, I'm going to focus on race. Um, yeah, it's going to, it might be uncomfortable, but I really believe that it's something that needs to be addressed or just like there needs to be room for uh, conversation. And so when I talk, when I say race, I really mean I'm talking about white privilege today. I'm going to talk about what it is, some kind of misunderstandings and like assumptions that aren't really maybe correct um, and just share some examples of white privilege in my life. Um, before I start, I just want to say I am not a professional. I'm not like a sociologist or anything. Everything I'm kind of talking about has been through uh, personal research, uh, conversations, and just uh, reflections and classes that I've taken. Uh, so, yeah, I recognize that I may not be 100% correct um, and would love to learn more if you have uh, stuff you want to share. Uh, so as I was researching and prepping this kind of podcast and gathering info, I really wanted to reflect on like, okay, well, why do I want to talk about this? And um, I believe that if, I believe people should care for the world, care for the world around them, the people around them and um, social justice, essentially. And you can only really truly care for someone um, and empathize with them and perhaps advocate for and with them. Um, you can only do that if you know where you stand, um, if you know how your position is different uh, than perhaps theirs. And I think we overlook that. We don't take the time to understand our privilege. Um, but when we, when we do, when, when someone does understand their privilege, uh, they're not only able to engage in things they're more passionate about, especially like in terms of social justice, but I almost think it's inappropriate to say you're like totally into social justice if you can't recognize uh, your privilege. And all areas of that privilege. And that means um, racial privilege. And for white people, that means understanding your white privilege. And it's, I know it's a seriously uncomfortable topic for a lot of people, but the fact that it is uncomfortable and the fact that it still is not something that people want to talk about is, um, I think it's about time we change that and that we engage um, lovingly and respectfully. So yeah, uh, this whole conversation is meant to be a conversation, um, positioned in love and respect. And I hope that, um, that can be reciprocated. Um, but also as you go and engage in these conversations, 
Uh, so to start off, white privilege can be defined as the reality that a white person's whiteness has come and continues to come with an array of benefits and advantages that are not shared by many people of color. It can be advantages, entitlements, benefits, choices, opportunities, um, resources. Uh, it kind of is just under that umbrella. And for, I guess, further clarification, whiteness is the social construction that has created a racial hierarchy that has shaped all the social, cultural, educational, political, and economic institutions of society. Um, it's kind of a little difficult to explain, um, especially like without any visuals, but um, whiteness is a response and lingering effect of colonialism. So to read the definition again, white privilege is the reality that a person's whiteness, um, whiteness being the social construction of hierarchy, being um, white skin and white culture, um, has come and continues to come with an array of benefits and advantages that are not shared with people of color. Uh, people of color means anyone who are, who are not white. Uh, so after this definition, um, it's kind of tough because for me, it seems very straightforward, but I believe that when people hear the word white privilege or the, the kind of topic, um, and they hear that definition, there is an immediate reaction of being defensive and an immediate reaction of shutting it down. And typically this is from white people who may not understand it. I'm not going to like go into that, but, um, there is an immediate, um, saying that's not true. And, um, saying, I know people of color who are more privileged than I am, or I have worked really, really hard to get to where I am and I'm still not where I, where I want to be. Um, I don't, what are you talking about white privilege? And, um, I just want to say that there are a lot of misconceptions around white privilege. Like that's not what white privilege is. White privilege. I just want to be clear that, White privilege is not assuming that white people have never struggled. It's also not assuming that everything a white person has has been unearned. It's not assuming that white people don't have hard lives or don't like work hard. I was on social media the other day and I passed a post that kind of said it really, um, really well. And it said, white privilege doesn't mean your life isn't hard, can't be hard or never was hard. It means the color of your skin will never be a factor in what's causing your difficulties. So um, you can be a white person that has maybe had um, a different life. Maybe you didn't come, uh, didn't grow up in a household with um, a lot of money, a lot of resources, a lot of um, physical privilege in that way. But that does not mean that you don't have privilege. Um, no matter what your kind of intersection of identities are, um, reference to episode two, you still have privilege. You still have to look at it. And so say if you came, if you are a white individual and you came from maybe a difficult background, um, yeah, that's valid. That doesn't mean um, you don't have racial privilege. And the thing about privilege, the thing about privilege is that if it 
goes over your head. If you don't think about it, if it doesn't cross your mind, that's privilege. So if you're not thinking about, say, your gender, if you're not thinking about your sexuality or your um, race in this case, you have privilege there. You have privilege there. And it, it is sometimes difficult to kind of see. Trust me, it's really, it's a gross process of like recognizing it and figuring out what do I do with this? How do I love people well? But I think it's important that we recognize where we stand. And so, yeah, just again, white privilege doesn't mean that your life isn't hard, can't be hard, or never what, or never was hard. It means that the color of your skin will never be a factor of what is causing you difficulties. And another big kind of response to white privilege, especially after maybe what I just said, um, is that... Um, People respond and say, white privilege is being racist towards white people, or it's reverse racism. And um, I'm going to take a hot minute and just break that down and say, if that is where you're coming from, is if that is your understanding, um, I just want to say, no, that's not true. Um, and I think there might be an under misunderstanding of what racism is, of what power and of what privilege are. I was, one of the big sources I used was Alberta Civil Law Institution Research Center, I think. And um, they had a really good um, kind of breakdown on how reverse racism um, is a myth. It's not true. Reverse racism is a myth because it tries to ignore the fundamental question of who holds more power and more privilege between the groups and individuals that are involved. It assumes, reverse racism assumes that racism occurs on a level playing field, and I believe that that's not true. That's not true. All you got to do is look, do some research on um, just North America alone, but I know Europe too, uh, social injustice, crime rates. Social movements, I speak, I think, speak a lot to privilege and the idea of a level playing field. But reverse racism and white privilege aren't being racist towards white people because racism is about power and it's about who holds it. And so if a white person is saying that you saying I have white privilege is being racist towards white people, uh, that's not true because, um, first of all, there is a difference between actual racism and racial prejudice. And that's where people, I believe, have like a huge misunderstanding. Um, and I'm going to break that down. So racial, racial prejudice is a set of discriminatory or derogatory attitudes based on assumptions deriving from perceptions about race and or skin color. And so... Racial prejudice can be directed at white people, but it's not considered racism. And this is because of the systematic relationship of power, where white individuals are seen as um, more superior and perhaps more legitimate and valid. And this is because of colonialism. We had a bunch of white people come in to lands um, in America, in Canada, in all parts of Europe, all parts of Asia, all parts of Africa and South America, 
they came in and said, hey, look, we're going to we're going to make you like actual people instead of savages. We're going to take your land. We're going to push you into pockets, but we're going to bring technology. We're going to bring all these good things and we're going to bring culture and we're going to like make you legit. And that that foundation of colonialism, that mindset that like white people have knowledge, have like good things, have have a superior um, culture, have an upper hand in life, have an upper hand in everything, has just kind of been perpetuated throughout generations and has become so ingrained in our culture, in our society that it's no longer out, like it's no longer clear to us. It's so like drenched. Our culture is so just like heavy with systematic power relationships and racism that we're, we're blind to it and we're, we don't acknowledge it. We don't see it. And especially white people, we don't see it because it doesn't affect us. And because it doesn't affect us, we don't think about it. And we think it's not true because we don't experience it. There are power relationships. So when racial prejudice is backed up with power, it can often result in acts of discrimination and oppression against groups. And so I think it's really important to make a distinction between white people and people of color at this point. White people can experience racial prejudice. So um, like white people can have comments said to them, we should not confuse the occasional maltreatment experiences by whites at the hands of people of color with the systematic and institutionalized mistreatment um, that that are experienced by people of color at the hands of whites. The comments of people of color don't have the same power and authority as white people do. And that's because of the way our culture is. And that's because of the power relationships and the um, lingering effects of colonialism. Don't like when white people say things, it has it has a different um, tone and a different um, power and authority to affect another individual. Um, I don't think that's right, but I think that's the reality. Um, So when people say that white privilege is being racist towards white people or it's reverse racism, uh, you can't compare the, like, same... You can't compare a flittering comment to that you might experience, like one time or a couple times or a handful of times to a lifetime. Um, You can't compare a couple comments to like an institutionalized system of power. They're incomparable. And you can't, yeah, one is occasional and one is systematic. One is ingrained in culture and society and one is just said. And that's not saying that racial prejudice can't hurt, but um, it is not the same as uh, racism. And I believe that the reverse racism argument um, or idea um, is largely in response to the affirmative action kind of programs or initiatives that are initiated in the United States. And what, what we kind of see is that white people, white people often believe that because of these programs, white Desert, like deserving white students are discriminated against um, 
while academically unqualified students are given like highly prestigious positions in a company or in a college just because they happen to tick the ethnic minority box. Um, but actually, these affirmative action programs are, um, while they might not be perfect, the um, attempts of affirmative action programs are to repair the results of institutionalized racism by setting guidelines for finding qualified applicants that represent all parts of the population, not just one part, not just one part that may have had the upper hand, um, but all parts. Um, in other words, these programs don't privilege people of color. They help ensure that they are given equal consideration and opportunities. Um, and if you feel like that's, if you're a white individual and you feel like that might be discriminatory against you, I just want to say, check your heart um, and really try and wrestle with this. Like, I don't, I kind of just want to say it's not about you. Um, as a white person, there is a reality that our whiteness comes with an array of benefits and advantages that are not shared with people of color. And um, people of color are being considered for jobs and maybe taking the job you want. Um, I don't think that's the end of the world. I don't think that's in no way is that reverse racism. In no way is that um, being racist towards white people. Um, I believe it's equity. And I'll talk about that later. Um, but... White privilege is simply acknowledging that you might have advantages because of the color of your skin, and this is because of our history. This is because of this is because of the way our societies and institutions are kind of structured, um, and to say that white privilege is a myth is ignoring is ignoring your own privilege and is um, I think it's time that we stop being defensive that you stop being defensive and if you don't get it that's fine but I really challenge you to take the time to understand to take the time to talk to people around you to do your own research because I don't think it's okay um, that we go around and say that people are being racist towards white people. Um, yeah, that should not be okay. So maybe to give a better picture of what white privilege can look like, I'll share some examples of what I have seen in my life. By no means is this um, every kind of part of white privilege. It's definitely something... Um, that I'm always learning. I'm always learning more kind of areas. Um, and actually, when I was kind of just brainstorming for this podcast and thinking of examples, I thought of um, a lot more than I had in the first place as I did more research. And so it's understanding privilege is also understanding that you're always going it's, to, it's a process of always learning. Um, it's a ongoing discussion. It's not something that will happen overnight. Um, 
nor will it be easy. It's not, honestly, it's not the greatest um, thing. I don't, <laughs> you know, like acknowledging your, your privilege and saying, wow, it's, it's not, it's not the greatest thing in the world, but there's a lot of good that comes out um, from understanding your privilege. And so I'll just talk a bit about my upbringing first, maybe I guess to give some context or maybe just this might, maybe this will be similar to some people. I grew up in a small town um, where the diversities in schools were limited. So growing up, I was pretty much in a white community, um, very like classic small town. Um, and although I understood cultures and I understood that I was privileged um, in material ways, I never had really thought or never really considered that um, privilege can be invisible, um, that my skin um, can be a dimension of my privilege. That never really crossed my mind. Um, and because I was surrounded with a, in an environment with a lot of uh, white people, um, it was even less of something that was discussed, talked about, or addressed. I'm, and I'm not really afraid to say this, but I was quite ignorant um, in this sense. And I use that word um, where we're all ignorant. We don't know. That's that's what ignorance is. We just don't know. Um, but I, I don't think we should stay there. <laughs> that's, yeah, we shouldn't stay there. Um, but it's almost like... The phrase, ignorance is bliss, is true. Um, when you don't know things, um, things go over your head. Um, you don't get them. Um, and you're just like, la, 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 whatever. Um, you're kind of bliss. The world looks good. Um, your world is good. So the world is good. When you really start to um, maybe get perspective and you start to learn, you it's, it's quite clear that the world is maybe not as perfect and not as great um, and that while your life may be, may be pretty good, uh, that's not the circumstances for a lot of people around you. Um, and so that kind of blissfulness starts to break away, and then it gets really sad, and it gets really, really discouraging and maybe depressing for some people. Um, but I think I would rather live in a world where I see kind of the brokenness and I see the um, maybe hurt and discouragement um, and and acknowledge that and and learn about that and do stuff with that uh, then just live in this bubble um, where I just don't know anything and I think the world is good uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm comfortable saying that I lived in a bubble of ignorance in the sense that I just didn't know things. Um, it wasn't until maybe like five years ago, maybe six, where I kind of started to have a shift in, I guess, my mindset and in my perspective. Um, and it was a shift from equality to equity. Um, and I want to credit a lot of this to my mom, uh, growing up when like a sister of mine would get something like say maybe clothes or school supplies or whatever. And I didn't get something. 
Um, and I, and like, say, if I were to go up and be like, mom, you didn't get me anything. This isn't fair. You got her something, but not me. My mom would always say, it's not about equality. It's about equity. It's about getting what your sister needs so that she can be successful, so that she can do what she needs to do. The same went for me when I, when I broke a lot of violin bows and like, needed new shoes my mom was like really generous to buy that um and like when when she would tell me that I'd just be like yeah yeah blah 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 but I think I really saw this shift in equality yeah it's the goal or yeah it's the dream but it's not a way of getting there um you can't get to equality in our world given the systems and given given the structure you can't get there with equality um, but you can with equity. And so I've really kind of shifted to see um, equality as the dream and equity is the means to get to that dream, to that vision. That kind of goes into privilege and uh, it kind of goes into privilege, but it also goes into like the fact that p- other people are going to need other things than I do. Um and this might be be because I naturally have one step up, I guess. I don't like saying that, but I do. Um, so aside from that kind of a tangent, I saw a shift in mindset from equality to equity where I started to understand that not all individuals have the same opportunities. And so because of that, I was like, how do I speak into situations that I don't know a lot about? How do I... How do I talk about things where, like, the reality of what I'm talking about is not my reality? How do I talk about that? How do I do that? And so, long story short, I just, um, and with some <laughs> university courses, haha, um, really challenged me to think critically, to reflect. And um, I remember when I first kind of got it, I was just so sad. I was just so like, ah, I feel so dumb. I've been my whole life just like living in this stupid bubble, like, ew. But, um, and you might have that if, if you haven't already, but I think, you know, it's okay to like be gross, like just feel bad about your ignorance, but don't stay in that, you know, like I'll talk about later what to do with that, but don't stay in that. That's not an excuse. (laughs) White guilt, like, no. <laughs> so that's a little bit about my um, kind of background. So um, some examples of white privilege in my life in my childhood has been in school, in elementary school. When we learned about history, I learned about people that reflected my skin color, aka European history. Um, and so because of this, representation uh, was never something I questioned. I never looked at the TV or magazines or books or picture books growing up as a little girl or like my Barbie dolls. I never looked at them and was like, why don't they look like me? I didn't have to question that. I could like turn turn on the TV and see someone that looked like me. And so I never had to ask uh, myself or my parents, why are there not people that look like me? I was in a community with people that looked like me. Um, uh, people in my family looked like me. The ideals of society were like stuff I could accomplish. By that, I mean, Google the word beauty and what pops up, what kind of 
um, representation pops up. We see a lot of white people, a lot of European people, um, and uh, the occasional like Asian individual, but for the most part, it's um, white people, people that look like me. Um, I never, I never had to question representation, and that's a huge privilege. That's a huge that makes such a huge difference. Growing up as a young girl, like trying to figure out, am I beautiful, and how to be confident. If I didn't have people, if I didn't, yeah, I'm just going to stop. <laughs> um, similar to representation, um, the presentation of people of my skin color and the way they're displayed in media outlets is, for the most part, positive. Um, white people are generally presented in a positive frame, in a positive lens on TV. I have, I can have a positive relationship with public authorities, with the police. When I'm having a bad day, month, or year, I don't need to ask if the negative situations or experiences have racial undertones. Um, I think that's a huge one. That's a huge, huge one. Where before, when I touched on kind of living in a bubble of ignorance, um, that's almost a privilege. Uh, I have the freedom to be ignorant. Um, I did not grow up having to know um, about systematic racism in order to protect myself. My parents didn't need to tell me that because they knew I would be safe. I wouldn't ever have those like confrontations and those situations that I would have to understand a greater societal system. You know, I could just do whatever. Um, not actually, but actually, um, I had the privilege of not knowing, of not having to know. And I believe that it's a privilege. I don't think it's a positive privilege, but it's a privilege that I don't have to learn stuff like this until later in like high school and higher education. Like, no, this is stuff that should be taught from the, from day one, but because I don't experience it, because it goes over my head, I don't have to. It's not necessary. It's not imperative. It's necessary, but it's not imperative for my well-being and safety. Um, it's almost like I can, I have the luxury of being sheltered from the harsh realities that exist because I don't experience them directly. That's a privilege. And we don't see that as privilege, but that's a huge privilege. And what's crazy is that, like, before, I wouldn't have thought of it. But as I did more research and I was like reading and just researching and I kind of was just reflecting on my childhood and I was like, dang, that's a huge privilege because that changes your ability and that like the freedom you have as, as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult, as an adult, so on. Um, As a white person, I can play the colorblind card. <laughs> I don't believe I like, okay. I'm just going to explain it first. As a white person, I can, I can, I have the freedom to say I am colorblind. However, that whole idea of being colorblind, I believe is extremely problematic um, because it fails to recognize not only, not only the reality of, um, power and of privilege and of this like our society and culture but I 
it takes away from the beauty in cultures. Uh, there's a lot of differences. For a long time, those differences have been framed as negative, but I really think there's a lot to, there's a lot to be said when um, people can come together and say like, look, we have a lot of differences, but these differences aren't going to divide us. And I know that's super ideal, but like being colorblind is not the answer. That's like the same thing as saying, that's the same thing as saying equality. Equality is the answer. Okay, but like equity, guys, equity. Um, you have to acknowledge the differences. Acknowledge it and say, look, this is the reality. This is the differences. These differences cannot and should not divide us, but we're not going to ignore them and say we're all the same. The same goes for feminism, right? We're not going to say that all women are the same. We're not going to say that all men are the same because there are different identities and there are different intersections and people's experiences are different. Um, we have to learn how to embrace them. And colorblind is not the answer. I think it's a blanket. It's like a temporary like ice pack for like a problem that won't solve itself. Um, and we saw this a lot with um, the Black Lives Matters movement. A lot of people, their response was all lives matter. Um, yes, they do. All lives matter. But that was not the point of Black Lives Matters. Uh, Black Lives Matters was addressing that there has been persecution, discrimination, and systematic racism that has been just directed towards this particular group of people in our society, and we're going to speak out against that. Um, we're not saying that all lives don't matter. We're saying that this life, this Black lives have not been valued, have not been respected, and we're going to move on that. Um, yeah, <laughs> so... Those are just a couple examples. I mean, I could go on for a long time. There are so many more, um, but those are just a few that I thought were like the less, um, kind of less generic and less um, stereotypical. I wanted to give some examples that um, were really big in my life and that have really, like are not necessarily some of the things that you'll read, but maybe they are. <laughs> um, but I also wanted to address the biracial dimension. I was chatting with a friend. I was just telling her about this. And she said, well, um, what does it mean you being Filipino or being half Filipino? And it's kind of weird because as, as I'm in this, like as I am half Filipino, um, the way people immediately perceive me is by my whiteness, is by my skin color. And um, for a long time, I was reluctant about that. I didn't want to really accept that. And I think that's why it took me like a kind of long time and a long process to really get racial privilege and like, where do I fit into this? But what I've learned is that you can't deny your whiteness, especially being biracial. Um, whether, like, some people might look, um, like, I have family that look more Filipino than white, vice versa. I'm, I look more white than Filipino, but whatever kind of you look like, if you do have Caucasian in your, like, blood, you do have a place to speak into white privilege, and you do have that, and it obviously will be different for everyone, but I don't think it's fair. It's not appropriate for people to deny their whiteness. I see this, uh, like I've seen this in like people who are part indigenous and part Caucasian. They have fully claimed the part 
part indigenous, but they look 100% white and they don't accept that whiteness. They don't step into that and use it. And I'll talk about how to use it, but when people don't use it, you are perpetuating the system of ignorance and of not talk. You're when you don't use it, you're not, you're not like when you don't use it, you're just letting it happen. You're not speaking into, you're not using your voice for good. Um, or you're not using your voice for its full potential to really, um, engage in like really to engage in conversations like that. Um, and when I, when I kind of tried to just like deny or minimize my whiteness, I, in that process, was failing to recognize my own privilege. And so how am I supposed to talk about, pri- like, how am I supposed to talk about stuff like social justice if I can't even understand my own priv- privilege? And I've had a lot of conversations where people have said, yeah, like, I see you as white. Um, and that's just the way it is. <laughs> that's just the way it is. I am, I am part white, so I do have... Um, white privilege and how people perceive me is white. So, so I had to kind of go into this place. Okay, well, how do I use this? How do I use my whiteness? How do I talk about it? How do I use it for good? It's like, why do people keep saying that? And so, um, over the past couple of years, I guess I've kind of learned and heard about how to do it. And so, I kind of came up with four things or areas. Um, I broke it down to maybe help someone out if they're recognizing their privilege and they want to do something about it, um, which is really cool, really cool. Um, that should not be minimized. If you understand your privilege and you want to use it for good, I think that's so powerful. And keep keep digging, keep, um, keep learning, keep learning. Uh, so the first thing, there are four things. The first thing is to figure out your privilege. Uh, look at it, identify it, see where it is in your life. Um, and really understand it, um, and that means all. That means all areas. That means not only the five I mentioned at the beginning: gender, ability, class, sexuality, and race, but also religious, uh, religious beliefs, education, financial resources, other resources, um, your citizenship, where you were born. The list goes on. Um, there are a lot of areas of privilege. So I encourage you to like take the time to really figure out um, where it is. Don't overanalyze it, but but do consider it. Um, do consider it. Um, the second thing would be to learn about privilege in different contexts. So um, talk to people. Talk to people that look like you. Um, or sorry, no. talk to people. Um, say in this case, talk to white people if you're white, but also don't just talk to white people. Um, Talk to people of color. Try and get a better perspective of what privilege looks like in their life or how your privilege might differ from them. Um, And this is really important. This is done through listening, through discussion, and through asking questions. And one word you might come across in this process is becoming an ally. And a huge part of being an ally is listening respecting and believing huge emphasis on believing believe the stories that people say believe their truth um respect their truth and this maybe can bridge beyond um racial and into a huge i believe this is a huge part of gender gender privilege 
um, men believe women when they come forth um, saying stories of sexual harassment. When a woman goes up in front of the country and testifies her story about how this about how this politician like harassed her, sexually harassed her, um, no matter how many years ago, uh, believe her. Don't shred her to pieces. You know, believe her. Believe her truth. And some people's excuse is like, well, what if they're not telling the truth? Honestly, I would rather believe someone and find out that they're lying than not believe them and that have them tell the truth. I I just would want, I want to believe in humanity that people will tell their truth and will we'll speak up about things that really need to be addressed. Um, so a huge part of that is listening and believing, being an ally. Number three is looking for opportunities to speak and to act, ask questions, raise issues, bring more perspectives. I want to speak to white people in this sense. White people, this means use your platform, use your white privilege. Um, there, a psychologist, Heather Rosinski and Alexander Kuzop looked at how people perceive confrontations about racially biased comments. And they actually found that white observers are more persuaded by white confronters than by black confronters. And they actually rated black confronters as more rude. So essentially, in short, white people listen to white people. That's a proven fact by this psychologist. White people listen to white people more. So if you're a white person um, and you have a white family and you have white friends, you have an opportunity to speak and to have conversations and to engage, ask questions, say, oh, why did you say that? Make them think. You don't have to call them out. You don't have to say, look, you guys are so ignorant. I can't believe you were like this. No, do it respectfully. Do it lovingly. Um, ask questions. Make them think. Um, engage in conversations. Share stories. Amplify the voices that, that are not being heard. Notice bias. Call it out. Call it in. Call it in is kind of just the loving way of saying calling out. Build bridges uh, with your family, white people, um, but also with people beyond your perspective, beyond your privilege. And the fourth one is passing the mic, um, which essentially means that, yes, look for opportunities to speak and act, but be mindful of when you need to step aside and step or step back. Um, find the balance between advocating for individuals, but not speaking for them. Like don't speak for someone if they're right beside you. Um, pass the mic, let them speak, let them use their voice. Um, and you can use your voice by letting them speak. There's a lot of power in um, passing the mic in staying silent let others tell their stories make room for people to speak and share um it's not all about you it's not all about you um and i know that's tough but it's not all about you yeah and so those are the four things um that are a really good place to start um i was having a conversation with uh one of my friends and she was like well is that it is that all people can do um and i just want to say well I think there's a lot of power in that. And I think that there's a lot of, um, like if that speaks volumes when a person can address their privilege and use it for good, don't underestimate 
the power of your voice and the importance that it's making. Because if you want global change, global change happens with global awareness and global awareness begins with self-awareness. So if you are aware, you can help others become aware around you like your friends. And it'll we'll see this change, this shift in culture where um, people acknowledge um, privilege, lift up voices, are allies to all individuals. Um, I really believe that change comes from grassroots. It comes from the civil society, the people, the culture. And so when individuals can come together understanding their own privilege, that is just so cool. That's so cool. That's so exciting. And I don't think it's something we should underestimate um, or minimize. I think we, if anything, should put more emphasis on it because I believe that there are not enough There can be, I don't want to say there's not enough, but there can always be more people doing that. Um, Yeah, so I challenge you to do that. I'm going to pass my mic now, aka I'm going to stop talking and challenge you to step into your voice. Privilege is a tough, is a tough thing. Um, And again, it's not, not easy, but um, I encourage you to really um, sit on it and uh, talk about it, talk about it with people. If you're still having a hard time um, understanding it, I encourage you to talk about it. Do your own research. Yeah, on it to ensemble, and we're here for conversation. We're here to help each other learn. So that being said, I will pass my mic. Thank you so much for listening. Um, it means a lot. I hope that this podcast has maybe taught you even just maybe one thing um, and that it makes sense. If you have any questions or comments, I would love to hear them. Uh, there's a contact page on my website that you can send them. Other than that, that's all I got. So thanks again for listening. Um, and I hope that this, um, sparks, uh, some learning in your heart today. Bye.